I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, my name is Thomas Nygren. I write about Liverpool FC for a Swedish website called lfcsv.se. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith. I write about Burnley. I write the non ever newsletter, and hopefully Burnley will be allowed to play a football match sometime soon, and then I'll be able to talk about it. Hi everybody, I'm Steve McGookin and uh, I'm a Spurs fan based in Belfast, Northern Ireland and uh, I am formerly the uh, past chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Jamie, I feel like many people sympathize with your inability to currently play matches. Fortunately for Thomas and, and Steve and myself, we finally managed to, to watch a match of football, which was quite nice, though perhaps contentious. But we can get into that a little bit later. I do want to start off by talking about all of these crazy match suspensions. So last week, uh, obviously, the only big ones that had really happened thus far were Tottenham. Leicester's cases were mounting. And then by the time we recorded, Manchester United and Aston Villa uh, had reported their own cases. Obviously, things have gotten much worse since we recorded then. At the time, it seemed like we were all leaning towards it being okay that matches were still being taken on on a case-by-case basis uh, rather than UEFA's do you have 13 players available to play? If so, you're playing rule. Um, but things very quickly are looking like we need kind of an umbrella solution. Uh, so I was just curious for, for from your guys' perspective, is there a, a way to resolve some of these issues, especially the fact that a lot of these times fans are traveling to matches and then the matches are canceled, mm-hmm. but the people have already taken all the risk of traveling? Well, uh, I have no idea what the best solution is at this stage, but it can't go on like it is now. Uh, I was supposed to be at Anfield last weekend traveling from Sweden, and to have the match cancelled a few hours before that game would have been uh, horrible for me, of course. Now we we couldn't dare to travel to England anyway, but to leave the decision to play until just a few hours before the game isn't fair on the fans, and it isn't fair on the players. Maybe the best thing right now is to have a break and see where this is going, because at least it will give the Premier League some time to work out the best way to solve these kinds of questions. Uh, If you look at the schedule coming up with games every other day after Christmas, it will be dangerous for the players if a team loses maybe five or six players to COVID for every game. There will be no chance to get a rest. We have a big squad and many of the other teams at top of the table have got a big, big squad, but maybe... If a team like Norwich or you can see uh, Leeds yesterday, if they lose a few players to COVID as well, they won't be able to field a team. Or at least need to play the same squad every day. So we'll, we'll see many injuries before February if they don't do anything about the schedule. We could see today that we needed to play both Keita and Milan for 90 minutes. And they just recent, recently came back from injuries. And uh, we played on Tuesday against Leicester and we... They are the only midfielders we have, so maybe they need to play that game as well if we don't want to play our uh, youth squad. 
uh, if it was up to me, I would prefer to have a break until maybe January so that the teams can regroup and get their players back. Of course, there is a risk that we get the same situation again when the league start over, but I think it's at least it's worth a try because uh, we can't have it like this. And uh, maybe I've missed this somewhere, but I want to have it clear what it takes to postpone a game as well, because is, is it just that you have COVID in your team? Is it if you have five or six players missing through COVID? Or if you as Leeds, for example, have nine players injured, will it be enough to have two or three players with COVID on top of that? Um, I don't want the league to be decided by who has most luck with not catching a serious illness at the wrong time. But uh, today Chelsea missed five players, we missed four players, City didn't miss a single one, and they were the only team at the top of the table who got three points. So um, I hope that Premier League's got something good up the sleeve tomorrow when the meeting is. But and And finally, if I want to go to Anfield to watch a game, I need to be vaccinated. Perhaps it should be the same thing if you want to play a game at Anfield. Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what Thomas has said there. And I think the lack of clarity around, personally, the rules, like what's the, why, why does the postponement happen? What's the, what's the line that when it's crossed means that the game doesn't happen? I think that's important. Um, and what's been frustrating for me is, as a Burnley fan, we've had two matches in a row now postponed very short notice within three hours of kickoff is that like Kev you said at the the opening fans are traveling to these games in the hope and expectation that the match will be on and then having to turn around or even getting to the to the stadium and finding that the game's not on. I, I personally think this is an unacceptable situation. Um what I've also found frustrating and confusing this week is the statement from the Premier League around the postponement of Aston Villa v Burnley on Saturday, cited injuries in the Aston Villa squad. Now, I'm sorry, but injuries aren't relevant to this situation. If you have injured players, that's tough luck. That's nothing to do with COVID. Um, And it seems like it was the same in midweek. Watford have a terrible injury list at the moment. They have a COVID outbreak as well. So coupled together, they've not been able to field a team is the argument. But I don't think the injuries should be taken into account. If you have injuries, everyone has injuries. That's that. I don't think that's relevant. Um, and I think the point about vaccination is really important. Obviously, this is this is divisive, and some players will have valid reasons for not wanting to be vaccinated. But at this current time, if you're a footballer who hasn't been vaccinated. You're putting your teammates at risk. You're putting the families of your teammates at risk. I don't think that's fair. Um, So I'm not sure how other sports have managed it. I think the NFL seems to be a bit clearer around the the rules around COVID. Obviously, they've moved games in the past. They've had games postponed. But there seems to be more understanding of of where everyone stands over there. Um, but here at the minute, it just seems like the Premier League is is making things up as they go along. I don't think that's acceptable. Um, I think the problem with having the circuit breaker, as Thomas has suggested, and I think that seems to be the way that we're going, is that there's, there's no guarantee that the situation is going to be better in two weeks or in three weeks or in four weeks. So I think once the season is paused, I think there's every chance that that's it for, for a couple of months. Obviously, next season, the schedule has been decided to an extent by having to fit the World Cup in. So I think everyone's kind of 
working backwards from from next year's World Cup and having to get the break in for that. So I think it is difficult. I think the Premier League is in a tough spot. As a Burnley fan, I think it's really unfair that we have no positive tests, according to reports, and our game's being postponed when we're ready to play, we're prepared to play, and they're being called off at the last minute. I don't think that's fair. Um, and I think teams like Leeds, who have the injuries but not the COVID cases, because they apparently have very high vaccination rates, Leeds are now effectively being punished for their players being vaccinated. Because if their players weren't vaccinated, the chances were they would have COVID instead and then the games will be off. So I, I think at the minute they've tried to they've tried to keep the show on the road. I don't think it's sustainable the way it's going, but there isn't an easy answer. And that's, that's the only conclusion you can really make at this time. Yeah, I, I absolutely uh, agree with what both of you have said. Uh, you've done a, a good job summing up the, the various dilemmas facing facing the Premier League as well. And, and Jamie's uh, uh, point, uh, absolutely right about separating COVID from uh, from injuries, from the injury situation at uh, at the clubs. I think that's a really important thing to, to bear in mind. I mean, Kevin and I were, were planning to talk last week about... Um, about the disruption to the fixture list. And I actually said I'd rather wait and come on when we had some football to talk about. But even like a, a game, even after a game like we saw today, I mean, we should have known that we'd inevitably be talking about the effect of, of Omicron, not, not just on sports, but a broader on how we function as a society. And, and once again, uh, you know, it's in danger of becoming much bigger than just football. Um, apparently, the, the the biggest issue is we're we're still unsure about the severity of of this latest variant, and we'll really only know that um, when we when we have a, a sense of the hospitalisation and death rates over the over the coming weeks. But I think, and we were talking about this earlier. I think we we're, we seem to be back to where we were a year ago when there's a there's a conflict between what we're pretending is normal and the warnings that we're hearing of the underlying threat. Uh, it, it's like when the government last year decided not to close the pubs, but just told us not to go to them. Um, you know, right now we have a situation where they're they're telling us every day how serious this is, but at the same time, largely leaving it up to us to decide how how best to protect ourselves. So uh, that's just why you know the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, declaring a major incident in the capital yesterday. And then 50,000 people gathering to watch a match today just seems completely incongruous, to say the least. Um, and I think for the for the Premier League, and I am sympathetic to the Premier League here, I mean, the, the problem has always been consistency and, and the fact that decisions, broader decisions, are inevitably political rather than, rather than purely scientific. But, uh, you know, the primary issue for the country has been this the sheer speed of the spread of this uh, of this variant, and there, the, therefore, the the problem for the Premier League is that its testing process at the clubs um, usually has a twenty four hour lag time. So the situation at each club can change literally overnight, and that goes to your point, Jamie, about the timing of the cancellations of games and and uh, the need for the need for fairness to 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 fans as well as players. Um, I mean, as we, we know, the, the Premier League is going to meet tomorrow to discuss a, a circuit breaker. But, I, you know, I just think even 10 days or a couple of weeks break is still going to leave us in the same situation uh, if there's no change to the players testing regime. 
So, you know, how do you address that? Do you move the players into a bubble situation? Plus, it only it only deepens the fixture backlog. Uh, and and then, you know, what do you what do you do about? Do we want to move back to a situation where 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 we're playing games behind closed doors? You know, I don't think anybody really wants that. Um, but it, it it just means it's it's really hard to see what the logical next step is that ensures uh, fairness and consistency, but also primarily puts the safety of the players, the staff, and the fans first, uh, as well as you know taking into account the logistics of how to stage live events where people are are traveling from various parts of the country in order to, to gather there. And that's I think that's where the Premier League needs needs consistency most of all, and it needs to have a a, a good message that it can get across to people where they understand the uh, understand the uh, the guidance. Yeah, I think all of you have made some really good points, and I'm glad you guys mentioned that that uh, this conversation could become terribly outdated terribly quickly, depending on what is decided at the Premier League meeting tomorrow. Uh, but as Jamie alluded to, it does sound like the circuit break is the route they're going. Uh, according to David Ornstein, it sounds like match week 20 is the week that is currently being targeted to try to, to interrupt play. But as you've all mentioned, the, the matches are coming so thick and fast that that's three days. <laughs> there, there are match weeks either side of that. So really, what impact is that going to have on, on the overall thing? And I, I totally realize that next year's football calendar is already uh, dicey because of the World Cup. But, you know, in case anybody's forgotten, that is supposed to be in the winter. So giving people a long break in the summer was meant to let them recover before having to do all of that. But there is, in theory, time in the summer to play some of these matches to have like a more meaningful stoppage, like maybe what Thomas was saying, if we just waited till January. But of course, there are a lot of other aspects. Like Steve, you mentioned the, the uh, political side of it and obviously the tradition of you know watching football over the holidays and on boxing day and all these things are, are pretty ingrained tradition societally so are those things more important than these case-by-case bases per club obviously those are all decisions being made by not us at this show uh perhaps <laughs> unfortunately um but, uh, anyway just to jump back in on that yeah Jeff, i think already we've seen people just clearly trying to take advantage of the situation it's it's like Steve said, it's like Groundhog Day and that we're back where we were a year ago or at the start of the pandemic. So we've got people like Eddie Howe, who clearly has a vested interest in having the season paused. Eddie Howe is about to get a gazillion pounds to spend in the transfer market. <laughs> and Eddie Howe, incredibly, wants the season to be paused until the transfer market opens. Like, who could have seen that coming? It's exactly the same as last year when the West Hams of the world wanted a pause or the season to be null and void because it was in their best interest. So I think we have to yeah, be very careful. Yeah, they were like careful. fourth or something at the time. Exactly. We need to be really careful about um, just judging what people are saying through their own bias and what suits them because I, I have a lot of respect for Eddie Howe, obviously managed Burnley in the past, but I think he was completely out of order to, to call for a circuit break in a position where mm. Newcastle would obviously be the primary beneficiaries if that was to happen. Yeah, and I, I think it's an excellent point. This is why you can't make rule changes typically mid-season is because inherently it will benefit some and be at the detriment of others. But yeah, I, I think the, the main thing that all of us have said is what we're currently doing is not working. So... Uh, hopefully a more amenable solution will will be presented 
uh, tomorrow at that Premier League meeting. We'll find out. Hopefully, we don't have to talk about this again next week. Um, <clears throat> all right, we'll oh, go from... I don't, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think there's any chance we'll we'll not be talking about it again next week. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're, you're probably right, very unfortunately. Um, Steve, you mentioned wanting to come on and talk about the actual football, so let's do that a little bit. Um, I think because of so many other dramatic situations happening in the Premier League right now, both on the pitch and off, a lot of people haven't really been talking about Leeds yet, but they just have three wins on the season. Uh, his name was never like brought up in those is ex-manager in danger kind of situations, mm. but uh, I just wanted to ask you guys, obviously they had such a great debut campaign last season. What, why do you think things have gone so wrong for them in this one? And I will add as an asterisk, obviously they're missing their best striker and have done for most of the season. Uh, yeah, well, as you, as you mentioned, Linz have been very unlucky with injuries through the whole season. And uh, since they don't have the biggest squad, it has hurt them a lot. Key players like Bamford, Ailing, Phillips, Cooper have missed many games. And this is the team that has, hasn't changed a lot since they were promoted. And uh, now that the key players are lost, that is a big problem. And perhaps if uh, another less stubborn manager than Bielsa would uh, make changes in the way they play, when they lack the quality of the players, perhaps they should play in a different way. But he seemed to want it his way. And uh, then they end up losing by seven goals to Manchester City or conceding four against uh, Arsenal. I think that they, in the end, will have a really hard fight against relegation, especially if they don't get their players back soon. Uh, when, they, when they don't have Phillips in midfield, they look like a completely different team. And uh, I watched the game against Arsenal the other day, and uh, it could have been more than four goals uh, at the back. Perhaps it's a bit lucky for them now that they play the best the teams that they probably wouldn't beat anyway, because they, they played City, they play Arsenal, and they play us next, so they might have the best players back when it's time to face the other relegation opponents, but um, they, they are in big trouble. I don't think that it's the right way to go to sack Bielsa. Maybe short term, they can pick, they can uh, choose a guy like Steve Bruce or someone like, someone like him to, to save them from relegation, but uh, by doing that, I think they will be in the same situation next season. If they can stay up with Bielsa and maybe give him a few more players, they have a chance to get back mid-table next season. And uh, I think that uh, the key thing here is that they can get a few more players back. And if they still don't win games, maybe they can uh, change manager maybe in uh, March or February or something like that. Because it's not the same leads as we saw, saw last season. And um, at least they can have Bamford back up front that they have a striker who can score goals it will be a lot easier for them to maybe get a few more points but um, the way they played against City and Arsenal was of course um, not very fun to watch and um, hopefully they are as bad as they were for those games uh, when they play us next but uh, when, come January they can <laughs> maybe they should uh, start thinking about winning a few more games Yeah I mean we've got leads on January 2nd. As things stand, if we're allowed to play football by then, fingers crossed. So, yeah, I'm kind of hoping that they're still bad by then. Um, I think everything that you say about Leeds, you have to first give the caveat that the injuries are particularly bad. Um, but I think the flip side of that is Bielsa always likes to work with a smaller squad, right? That's his preference. Mm. That's his choice to an extent. With so when injuries football. Happen, 
Sure. So injuries are perhaps more likely to happen with Leeds, partly because they've got the smaller squad, partly because of the style of football that they play. So to then say, I want the small squad, but then complain about the injuries, I don't know if that completely ties up. Obviously, it's particularly bad luck that the best defender, midfielder, striker are all out at the same time. That can happen. Um, I'm not sure Bamford had started the season particularly well when he was playing anyway. So I don't know if Bamford coming back is going to be like this fix that just makes Leeds work again. Obviously, he's very important to them, but I think there was already a bit of the old, you know, like Stefan season syndrome. Like we saw Sheffield United last season really struggled after being really good for the first year. Um, I think historically as well, this Leeds team really struggle when Calvin Phillips isn't available. So it's not just this little spell when Phillips has been out. When he wasn't available in the Championship last year, not last year, the year before, and in the Premier League last year, the games where Phillips isn't playing, historically Leeds don't play well. The whole team is built around Calvin Phillips. When he isn't playing, Leeds look bad. Uh, like Thomas said, I saw the Arsenal game and he's absolutely right. 4-0 was flattering to Leeds, if anything. Uh, 4-1, sorry. 4-1 in the end, they got a penalty bad, didn't they? Yeah, the Rafinha. But it... it could have been the same as City. It could have been six, seven, and Arsenal aren't even that good. Like they made Arsenal look incredible. Yeah. So I think there are big worries for Leeds. Um, I think one of the problems is that Bielsa is so stubborn. Like they want to play the same all the time. But like I say, the, t- the team functions when Calvin Phillips is in midfield. When he's not, I think they need to consider a different way of playing. Whether that means. Whether that means being a bit more pragmatic and leaving aside the whole man-to-man marking thing where you're following people around the pitch and leaving big gaps, maybe that doesn't work if Phillips isn't there. Maybe if you don't have Bamford up front to hold the ball up, you need to consider a different way of attacking. It's difficult because they are so patched up at the minute, but I think there are valid questions to be asked about Bielsa in all of this. I think another thing is that it's Bielsa's fourth season at Leeds, I think, and it's basically uncharted territory. He doesn't often stay at a club this long. So whether we've seen Bielsa go through this kind of bad period, be able to come out the other side, I think that's going to be really interesting. When things tend to go bad for Bielsa at clubs, they just keep going badly wrong. I don't think there is an example of a club where he's really turned it around when he's had this sort of sticky spell. So they're really in uncharted territory. Um, Leeds is obviously a really big club. The fans love Bielsa for what he's done at the club. But I think they're in a really tough spot right now. And obviously, as a as a fan of a club around Leeds and the table, I kind of have to hope it continues for them. Yeah, no, I was I was thinking the same actually. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was like, uh, uh, well, Leeds can at least be um, be thankful that their teams at least as bad as they are, sort of surrounding them. But I think you're right. I think there is something more fundamentally wrong uh, there. And I think what this shows is just how important it is to be able to put together a two, three, four game run. Uh, and and the damage that can be done from uh, from a series of bad performances that that basically compound each other. Um, I mean, I, I think uh, Thomas mentioned that um, they were unlucky. I think to come up against uh, Arsenal and City, who were who were playing really well at the time. Uh, but you know, 
I think there is something fundamentally fundamentally uh, at odds with um, with where they were last season and and how they can uh, possibly turn it around. Obviously, yes, you've mentioned the um, the fact that they're they're missing some of their key players. Phillips is the is the key one, I think, rather than Bamford. And you made that point, which is actually uh, very important. And also, Bielsa likes to bring through uh, the younger players into into a squad that that isn't really that big to begin with. So. Um, and and the interesting thing is also the supporters haven't um, haven't turned on Bielsa yet, uh, and I'm not sure what it would actually take for them to to lose confidence in him. Mm. Um, but but yeah, it, it is it is a it is a tricky a tricky situation for them because also if you look at, uh, I mean I think their goal difference at the moment apart from Newcastle and Norwich, their goal difference is the worst of uh, everybody. Well, from sort of Brighton downwards, really Brighton or Everton downwards, um, and so they need they need to be able to turn that around. Plus, they with the disruption to the to the fixture program, they played a couple of extra games uh, than than some of the other clubs around them. So yeah, the the next couple of games for them are going to be a real challenge. Um, but it it is going to be interesting to see what what happens with Bielsa. He's always interesting as Guillaume Balaguet would, would point out. <laughs> yeah. And I always find it interesting when we talk about like the things like the small squad, the high intensity, just because you see those things, at least when he was at Tottenham so clearly in what Pochettino was doing. And so mm-hmm. it's just interesting seeing all these issues just at a different club. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting one. Are we all thinking that they'll meaningfully be in the relegation fight throughout the season? I, I think yeah. if, if if they don't if they don't win uh, one at least one of their next two games, I think the the, the momentum will uh, keep sucking them downwards. Yeah, I mean, like I say, they've got us the game after next, and if their big players aren't back, we've had a month off because we're not allowed to play football matches. So you'd think we're going to be fresher, have a stronger eleven compared to our squad. So. I think that's a that's a huge game for both clubs. We have to go to that that Leeds game with mm-hmm. every chance of getting a result at the moment. Yeah, I think those are all excellent points. Uh, all right, we will take a quick break now, and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, and we are back. Thomas, I managed to avoid it in the opening, but now I guess we need to address it. Uh, Obviously, there was a football match. Hooray! That part's very exciting. Uh, Between the Tottenham Hotspur and Liverpool. Uh, A lot of contention surrounding this one, so we'll just start off with an easy one. What what was your view of this match? 
well, um, it was uh, it was uh, fun to watch the game if you look at it uh, as a spectator. But it was, of course, there was a few decisions from the referee that, uh, let's just say that uh, I was annoyed uh, by them. Uh, but uh, I talked to a friend before the game and I said that I would be satisfied with a draw in this game because when you look at the midfield that we started, it was uh, Tyler Morton who hasn't started in the Premier League before and we had uh, Kate and Milner who had just come back from injuries. Uh, so it, it was a difficult game for us beforehand and as Klopp said, he didn't have an idea what uh, kind of Spurs he was going to play because you haven't played in a while. So um, uh, it was hard to, to know what to expect from this game, but it when you scored first and then you, you you almost scored maybe one or two goals after that as well, I thought that this was going to be a, a very difficult afternoon for us. But then uh, when Jota took us back into the game, I fe it felt like it was going our way. So um, I don't know what to say about football-wise because the only thing that comes up to my mind when I think about the game is the Harry Kane um, tackle against Robertson and it's... Uh, Jota penalty, and uh, there are so many decisions from the referee that uh, blocks my mind when it comes to the football match. But uh, the one thing that we lacked when it comes to the, the way we played, it was Fabinho in the midfield, because uh, we, we let Spurs play the balls behind our defence maybe six, eight times, and we were lucky that not concede more goals. Like, I, I think it's the first time that you can say that the our goalie who maybe created your second goal was our best player because he saved us two or three times with terrific mm. saves. So um, it was it was a strange game to watch. And uh, maybe looking back to it, it was uh, it felt like a proper football game because I was mad, I was happy, I was angry during 90 minutes. And it, was, uh, it wasn't a calm game in uh, two or three minutes because... Uh, we started to almost score in the first attack by Andy Robertson, and then it just started to happen things until 96th minute. So I think the, the, the neutral spectators uh, love this game. And uh, most of it I liked as well, but I can't, looking back to it, I can't understand how Harry Kane was on the field for 90 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's fair, and, and I'm I'm glad that you were able to address some of the football because uh, that <laughs> the discourse on Twitter was maybe uh, a bit more myopic than that. Um, but uh, I, just to dive in a little bit deeper on that, like I said, people were very very mad. I know there's always been this kind of uh, maybe the polite word would be rivalry between Liverpool fans and Tottenham fans regarding Harry Kane, um, especially after the, the that year when the two of them were, were going up against it for the golden boot. Um, but I, I just wanted to hone in on why you think people were, were so, so mad about this one. Does it have something to do with the fact that the last time you were this close to City in the title race, they just didn't drop any points? So, so it already feels like dropping two points is significant in the title race? Yeah, they won't drop many points, and giving them three points, uh, three points ahead of us now, and uh, I think we're hard to get him back to them because we play them away, we Chelsea away uh, later this season, so um, we can't afford to drop many points. And if you look at it in a, in a way, it's, it's dispersed away when we missed many players, so it shouldn't be a disaster to drop points. But uh, the Premier League is very competitive, and um, the way City played, they won't drop many points. They lost 
course they can lose a few games, but I, I feel like going away with this now. And should have need. I think we, we should have needed three points here, especially when we lead with two. I think we scored our second goal when you were at your best at the game, and then, and then Alice gave you the second goal, and then the Robertson injury. There are so many things came that did really go our way. Uh, but actually, I think it's strong to get one point because when games look like this, we, we tend to drop points and often lose because, uh, like I said, in the midfield, we, we couldn't really get to you there. And uh, you had many chances to finish the game when you were uh, when you were leading. So maybe I shouldn't be too upset by it. But uh, I think that uh, the end, I fear that we've already dropped too many points in games like this to be ahead of City, but maybe I should be more sad about the draw against uh, Brentford when we dropped points against West Ham than in this game, because uh, look, we can look at it in the other way, because if we had played you this way last season when Harry Kane was scoring goals in a more frequent way, I think he could have scored three or four goals. Today he scored one, but uh, he missed a lot of good chances, so Another year we could have lost this game. Yeah, if it's any solace, it's worth noting that under the mighty Nuno Espirito Santo, City dropped three points uh, at White Hart Lane or or the new iteration of it. So if you look at that kind of like comparative table, you're a point up on them uh, in this particular fixture. Um, obviously, a, another thing that I'm sure will will kind of be buried um, with all of the other dramatics that happened in this match was that it was the first time Salah didn't score or assist since August. No shots on target for just the third time this season. I was just curious if you felt that was more on him or if you felt Tottenham did something in particular to kind of rein him in a bit. Well, uh, Salah had a very quiet game, and I'm surprised uh, that, that he couldn't get around Sessegnon more than he did. Because off to Spurs to stop the best attacking player in the world right now. And um, let's just say if the Leeds defend the way that they did again, he can compensate by scoring five or six against them <laughs> on Boxing Day. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly didn't mean to imply that he might be on some kind of a non-scoring rut, considering I think he scored or assisted in 18 of the matches this nice, season. Rubbish. He's rubbish. Oh. Overrated. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> well then, Jamie, a perfect time to chime up. Let's talk about Burnley a little bit. Um, we've already talked about it at the start of the show, uh, that you've now had these two matches very postponed. You have several games in hand it's it's kind of hard to read the table right now because so many different teams have played so many different matches uh in terms of their totals but in theory if you won your games in hand you'd be pretty solidly mid-table regardless what what impact do you think that has just knowing that you have all these opportunities to catch up with clubs that already have points tallies and those matches locked in i think it's an interesting situation um i think we'd probably rather be up the table with some more points on the board but I, I think it's hard to tell I think a lot will now depend on when those matches are rescheduled for um, obviously the Spurs game was a bit different because it was because of the weather and everyone on Twitter had a massive argument about undersoil heating because they don't understand what undersoil heating is for and they've never heard of snow so like, that whole thing was just like a whole headache of a situation but that was our fault for bringing Maxwell Cornet into our fantasy sides, as we discussed. 
Well, I, I, I don't think he's kicked the ball since I put him in my fantasy team. So I'm certainly willing to take share of responsibility. But I did take him out this week. So hopefully he's going to score hat-tricks for every game for the rest of the season. Um, I think it's a tricky one. January's always busy, isn't it? Because of the, the FA Cup. So you can't imagine the games are going to be in January. Kone, everyone assumes, is going to be away at the Africa Cup of Nations. So if we play those games... After January, when Corne's back, maybe it suits us. I mean, it's difficult to try and second guess what's going to happen because at the moment we've got Corne's half fit, the rest of the squad is basically fine. We haven't got the COVID cases. So I think the worst case scenario for us would be the season pauses now when we have a squad that can compete and then. When everyone else gets their players back from COVID, I will start getting COVID. I think that would be a very Burnley way for the rest of the season to play out. Yeah, it would be very uh, non-fortuitous for that for that to occur for you. Um, obviously, as we said, the match didn't end up happening, but there were kind of whispers that Wood might have been about to be dropped and you were going to go with a Jay Rodriguez-Vidra uh, front two. What were your thoughts on that? And do you think that that's a better pairing than Wood plus one of them? No, but it was an absolutely terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, um, I think it's it's really worrying actually for me that Chris Wood is getting the blame because the games that we've been losing and because the service toward has not been good enough. So. To just lay it on the blame of the guy who's not getting the ball in the right areas is a real mistake for me. But it, it seems to be something that we've done consistently, just to blame blame Wood if if things aren't going well. Um, now I'm not saying Chris Wood's had a good season. He hasn't. He he does tend to start seasons slowly, and I think there's various reasons for that, including the fact that as a New Zealand international. He has international breaks every two weeks, it seems like, in the first half of the season. He does more travelling than most international. So I think this factors in. Um, and like most strikers, he's, he's streaky. He tends to score his goals in bundles. So the chances are when he gets one, he'll score a few in a row. Um, but I think Burnley in the Premier League, since Wood arrived, it's been a team that's thrived when Wood plays well. So to take him out of the team, I think it's it's a huge risk. Um, I think if it was to recalibrate what Burnley is about and try and be less direct and play more football and play on the ground more, the Rodriguez and Vidras pairing would then make sense. But we saw a couple of games recently, Dash has taken Wood off and we've just continued to be direct, having taken off the guy that is suited to the direct football. So... It, it is quite concerning for me. Obviously, Kone has been a star this season and has scored a lot of goals, but the last few seasons, Chris Wood has been the goal scorer. We're not really seeing anyone else step up in terms of goal scoring. So for a team that's not scoring enough goals to take the goal scorer out, it doesn't really make sense for me when Jay Rodriguez is on a terrible trot in terms of goal scoring. Matty Vidra, I like him, but he's not a goal scorer in any sense of the word in the Premier League. So... I think it, it smacks to me of Daesh sort of running out of ideas and just desperately trying different things in the hope that something works. Chris Wood will be one of the last players that I would be dropping out of the team. 
Yeah, it definitely seems a, an odd choice there. Um, I We ask you this maybe every other time you come on, but with the ownership and everything like that, with the idea that you might be missing Cornet, who's been you know one of the key, if not the key uh, factor in your attacking play, do you think there might be money to spend in January or that you might see or only pursue players in the winter window? I would hope so. Obviously, uh, any club down the bottom is probably going to look at adding to the squad. Newcastle being the obvious ones, everyone expects them to spend their way out of trouble. I think the Corne signing, in a way, papered over a few cracks. I think the fact Corne came in quite late in the summer window made a lot of people think that it was a good window for Burnley. For me, it was kind of par. It addressed a couple of the issues in the squad, but the players that came in, there's only really Corne who's improved the team. And I think we needed improvements to the team, not just bodies for the squad like Aaron Lennon or Wayne Hennessy who are always going to be backups. So there are obvious weaknesses still in the 11, let alone the squad, that need to be addressed. Central midfield being an obvious one, I think, apart from Ashley Westwood, Burnley are really struggling for quality in that area, so that would be a priority for me. Um, you look at the fact that goals aren't really happening apart from corner, you maybe think about a new striker, but I would personally stick with this word is guy who scored right. 10 goals four years in a row so he's clearly proven to an extent at this level um, but it's difficult getting players to Burnley is always going to be more difficult than other clubs maybe those in London who can afford bigger wages and more of a draw no one's pretending that it's easy to get players to come to Burnley but that's that's down to the owners to, to sell the club, to sell the project. It's down to Dash to persuade players that they want to come and play for him. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. I, I feel like the, the last window was a par at best. And really the jury's still out in terms of the new owners and, and what they can really bring to the table in terms of making a difference compared to, to what the old owners were able to do. Gotcha. Well, good luck because uh, you're too good of a guest for Burnley to go down. So if you need to make Where some calls or something. <laughs> cool. Uh, Steve, we'll come to you to talk about Tottenham. Uh, so obviously the the match was a bit inciting. Um, and as I say, there's already been a bit of furor on the internet thus far. But, but from a footballing perspective, uh, were you impressed by how Antonio Conte set up, considering that was uh, the most XG we've had in a match this season? Yes, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm always uh, dubious about games that are described as great for the neutral because they're absolutely not for anybody that's involved in them. Uh, but I, you know, everything that I I said earlier about, uh, in all seriousness, about the Premier League having the option of of perhaps playing with fans or without fans. Uh, you know, this this was one of these games today that would have been half the game it was if it had been played behind closed doors. Um, you know, the the atmosphere sounded great, and that that that's what what football is all about for for everybody. It's just a matter of how do we how do we do this? How do we do football in a way that is safe and uh, takes into account um, the the needs of the fans and the needs of the players and the staff. Um, as for the game, you know, it was very, very much a what-if game for us. Um, I, I was I was surprised that we had the chances that we did in the first half. Uh, we knew that Liverpool couldn't possibly be as open at the back in the, as in the second. 
Um, so we, we definitely ended up ruining, you know, several missed opportunities in that first half. Uh, as for the contentious issues, I, I think what surprised me the most was that the ref actually sent Robertson off knowing that he had, you know, missed the Kane challenge previously. I mean, he would have seen that at half time. He would have seen the replay and he would have realized that, that he got that wrong. I mean, both, both challenges were red cards. There's no, no doubt about that. Uh, and the ref kind of, had a chance to even it up um, with Robertson by by just letting him stay on the pitch, but I think that what that points up is the issue with consistency on on VAR, uh, and that's definitely something the league is going to have to address and how how VAR is used. Same same thing with the uh, the Jota and the Delhi penalties. You know, meh. I've I've seen them given. I've seen them not. Um, and the same thing with the Salahan ball uh, again. All three incidents call uh, into VAR into into question. So there has to be there has to be a demonstration of consistency about about how VAR is used and uh, and what the outcomes are. But at the end of the day, you know, I I think neither team deserved to win today. So a, a draw is probably a fair outcome. Um, on our on how Conte set us up, as you ask, uh, I mean the upside. I think we we looked a bit a little more organised than we had in previous games, if we can remember that far back. Um, but but that's a sign that Conte is is getting a chance, I suppose, to work with the players a little bit more. Um, but again, there you know there are still those overall nagging questions about whether this group of players that he has inherited are actually good enough to challenge for spots that are much higher than where we are at the moment. Uh, and I think the jury is still out on that one. Um, today was encouraging, but but it also threw up uh, plenty of plenty of questions. I mean, on the downside, um, defensively we're still shaky, especially from set pieces. Um, but but generally we seemed a little bit more cohesive um, than we we have been before. Uh, I'd, I'd heard it said that you know Spurs' plan was to get all their games postponed until um, Christian Romero was was fit again, <laughs> but um, but I think even then we we couldn't stretch that out uh, that far. Although it is interesting, Kev. I don't know if you saw. There was a rumor today that uh, Conte wants to bring Arturo Vidal uh, to the lane um, huh. at the end of the season. So yeah, I know. What is what is he? Seventy two years old or something <laughs> at the moment. But, but that, I mean, the very fact that we're even having that conversation shows that he 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 doesn't see Conte doesn't seem to be satisfied with his options. Uh, I thought Sanchez was okay today. I was really impressed actually with Ryan Sessegnon. I thought he did really well. Uh, clearly, Regulon isn't um, isn't fully recovered from that, and I thought Ndombele did well also while he was on. But again, can he play for longer than sixty minutes? Uh, we're we're still not sure about that. And and of course, you know, Delhi Delhi tried hard as well. And one of the interesting things about about Delhi using Delhi today, um, especially with Hoybjerg out. Uh, Conte had said earlier in the week that what he wants Harry to do is play as much more of a, an out-and-out striker, uh, a, a play you know in the opponent's box, uh, rather than sort of tr- uh, chasing back into the midfield to create as well as, uh, as as well as try to finish. And so I think he, he Conte tried to use Delhi in that role and that's a subsequent role to try and uh, um, replicate some of what Harry does when he when he chases back. I thought Sonny seemed to get a little bit lost today, but um, you know, overall, given what what the players have been through recently, uh, I, I thought today was a good test, and it's always a good 
test against Liverpool uh, because our projects essentially for a while kept uh, kept in step when um, uh, you know Pochettino was appointed and then Klopp was appointed the following season. The two projects were were moving pretty much in tandem and then uh, diverged pretty dramatically. But it's it, it's always a good marker for us to play against Liverpool, especially when they're uh, when they're in good form. And uh, and so that was the that was the outcome of today. Yeah, definitely some good shout outs there. And I think that's one of the reasons I was so frustrated that the discourse will so clearly be dominated by decisions was there were a lot of good individual performances on the Tottenham side. Uh, Somebody that I wanted to bring up was someone that I think a lot of Spurs fans (laughs) have maybe uh, buried on how much they want him to stay at the club over the past few months. But Harry Winks was terrific today at the base yeah. of the midfield, obviously replacing Hoybier, who you mentioned, Skip yeah. was on the bench. Um, and a lot of the criticisms he's gotten before is that he's not actually good at anything, that he's just kind of tidy, he just keeps the ball ticking over. But that is so crucial in Conte's system where you just kind of repeat the same patterns of play. The movement is what opens up <laughs> passing lanes and all you have to do is complete them. Uh, do you think Harry Winks can really find a bit of a career revival here under Conte and the way he plays? I honestly don't know, especially if it comes down to him or Skip. I think Conte might, you know, prefer to give Skip more of his head. Um, but you know, Harry's Harry's a good central midfield player, and it would I think benefit any any team outside of the top seven or eight. Uh, and unfortunately, that's that's pretty much where we find ourselves at the moment. Uh, and he would play regularly at, at any of the teams below, you know, below us. He would he would get a, a regular starting job. Um, he's he has. He, I always sort of compare him on one particular aspect to to Modric, but that's where the comparison ends. When when he's able to he's able to break up play very uh, very handily, uh, but then he he gave the impression when he first broke through into the team that he had a telling ball. That he was able to sort of have that vision and sort of look. Uh, obviously, when when players like Son and Mura are running behind the defenders, that that he could find them. Uh, that seems to have gone for now. Uh, whether he can get it back, I'm not sure. But he's he's a hard he's a hardworking hardworking player, and um, and especially in Hoiberg's absence today, uh, I was I was glad that we had him on the pitch. Yeah, I will personally admit that I was uh, pretty done with Winks, um, but that was a, a pretty good performance. And and Thomas, I'd imagine that this might be one of those players where you your impression of him might be that he's good because it feels like he kind of turns up when we play against you, especially in that debut season that he had for us. But uh, yeah, all in all, not too shabby from Tottenham today. Uh, we will head into Player Watch where I wanted to ask you guys with you know all the COVID stuff, with all of the injuries that are happening and obviously the congested winter fixtures you know, TBD. Let's see if there is a that break there for match week 30. I was just curious which players at your club might might have a chance to really cement a starting spot now that they'll kind of have an opportunity to break through. Uh, well, uh, at Liverpool, I would have to start to say uh, that the uh, has cemented the starting spot in uh, our Firmino has been out for a while and uh, when he's been out, Jota has uh, scored a lot of goals and he started to work with with both my so, um, to me, he is a starting player. I have a bit of Firmino, but uh, it's hard to see how you take uh, Jota out of a starting eleven now. And uh, after that, I think there are two spots in our starting eleven that might be up for grabs. And 
One is in the midfield next to Henderson and Fabinho, because to me and to Klopp, they, I think they would start every game when they're fit. And um, today, I think that Thiago is the is Klopp's go-to guy when everybody's fit. But um, I really liked what uh, Naby Keita did again um, when he came on against Newcastle. It was a, maybe a bit uh, it didn't was play just as good today against Spurs. But um, I really want to see him play more games, 90 minutes now that he's fit, because we know he's he's going away to the African Nationals in a, in a few weeks' time. So. Uh, until he leaves, I hope that we use him a lot. And now that Thiago is sick uh, in COVID, I think we'll play we'll start a few more games and uh, maybe fit for the rest of the season and be the player that we hoped that he would be when he signed, when we when he come back from uh, the championships. And uh, the other spot is uh, next to Van Dijk at the back. But um, Konate is... Uh, Maybe he's the closest one to getting in, but uh, to me, he needs to outperform Joel Matip to be in our starting eleven. And uh, I think that Joel Matip maybe is one of the most underrated defenders in the league. To me, he's uh, a world-class defender. And if it wasn't for the injuries, we would talk about him much higher than we do. So um, if he if he stays fit, I think that Konate will have to keep playing in um, maybe. A uh, game a month or in the cup games or so, because uh, Van Dijk and Matip is our is our best pair uh, in uh, at the back. So Konate Keita is the players who are closest to um, getting into our starting eleven. But um, I think that uh, today Thiago and uh, Matip is uh, a bit further up uh, on top uh, in the status because. Um, I think Thiago works very well with Fabinho. Uh, you can see against Newcastle when Fabinho was out, Thiago was uh, it was a bit. Uh, he wasn't as good as he's been when Fabinho started. So hopefully when Thiago can get back to his um, and then uh, Henderson work together with them in a good way. So uh, well, let's, let's see what happens. But I think that uh, I think Jota is the starting player to me now and. Perhaps Keita can uh, take uh, Thiago's place. Yeah, for us, I think it's it's tricky for one because it feels like years since we we're able to play an actual football match. Um, and I think I slated him earlier on in the show, which I already feel bad for. But probably is Matty Vidra. Uh, with Corne set to go to the Africa Cup of Nations in the new year, assuming that goes ahead as planned, which the way things are at the moment is no guarantee. Um, there will be a slot up front. Um, Vidra hasn't ever looked like a reliable goal scorer in the Premier League, I think it's fair to say. But last season, he did form quite a handy partnership with Chris Wood. And that's what I would be leaning on. I would be looking for the pairings throughout the team that have been proven to work in the past. So in midfield, I think it's right that Jack Cook seems to have usurped Josh Brownell to play with Ashley Westwood. The Cork and Westwood pairing is proven to work. We qualified for Europe with Cork and Westwood in midfield. We know that that pairing works. I think that's correct that we've gone back to that. Um, and I think in the absence of Corne, Vidra and Wood is the pairing that makes the most sense. I think you asked me earlier about Rodriguez playing instead of Wood. I don't think Rodriguez has anything that Wood doesn't. I don't understand the logic behind that at all. Um, Vidra is probably the quickest forward that we've got. If Corne is going to be unavailable for a few weeks, we're going to need pace and attack. Vidra offers that. 
He will stretch teams in behind. He tends to have the ability to create something out of nothing or make a chance for himself. He doesn't always take them, but he has that sort of, I want to say like X factors similar to Corning that he can just make something happen. Um, and I think Burnley are in a situation now in the table where they're going to need individuals who can do that. If we're just relying on set pieces or second balls or bits and pieces, I think we're going to be relegated. So I think Vidra is the sort of player who can step up. He's one of a few who's out of contract at the end of the season. So he's, he's not just playing for his future here, but elsewhere he needs to impress if he's going to stay in the Premier League or get a new deal at Burnley. So I think Vidra is going to be probably a key player for not just the Christmas period, but for January if Corne is away and potentially for the rest of the season as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, in terms of uh, from a positive potential looking at the, the period ahead, uh, I've already mentioned Ryan Sessegnon, and I think he has a, a real opportunity to, um, uh, to to break through into the, into the first 11. Um, but I, I think the focus is going to be more with the impending transfer window. I think the focus is going to be more really on uh, players who have to prove that they're worth staying uh, into the, the next phase of the project. And I think obviously the two that have been talked about the most are, are Delhi and, and Tange and Dombele. And I, and I think they, you know, both of them did a pretty good job today at actually trying to um, build a platform that they can, they, they can work from. Uh, so I think from a, from a positive potential, I think it's Sessegnon. Obviously I think uh uh, Regulon, I don't think is is a hundred percent just yet. Um, so there's the possibility of of having Sassignon, uh, uh substitute for him. But but I think the the the, the crucial uh, situation I think is going to be for for Delhi and uh, and Tange um, in terms of um, whether they see themselves or whether Conte sees them as a, uh, as an actual integral part of the team um, going forward. So yeah, there's there's uh, upside and downside, unfortunately. Gotcha. And then we'll wrap up quickly with match previews. First, a couple of EFL Cup matches. We'll start with you, Thomas, where you're going to be hosting Leicester. Yeah. Well, uh, let's just see who is um, fit enough to play. I think we play on uh, on Tuesday, and uh, it's only a few days away. So um, we had a. a Four players out of COVID with COVID today, and Henderson was sick. So I think if nobody gets back, we'll see almost the same starting eleven as we had uh, today, and uh, perhaps a few new players at the back four. But I don't. Um, it's hard to predict these games because I think the club will try to rest as many players as he can ahead of this busy schedule coming up. Um, hopefully, Leicester will do the same. And uh, it would be good. It would be nice to be in the in the semi-final, and we play at Anfield. So hopefully we can um, get a good result. It will be fun to see. Probably see Minamino start. We will see Simicas play a bit more. We can see Nick, Nico Williams play. So it's fun to watch those games where you can see the players uh, not, uh, regular starters. I'm just sad that uh, Divock Origi prob- probably uh, won't start because today as well. And these are the kind of games that he usually win for us. So it will be a tight game, but uh, I think that in the end, Leicester will rest players and we will rest players and we've got the, a bigger squad than they do. So hopefully we can beat them. Yeah, I think a lot of those situations kind of stand <laughs> the same, even as we talk about Tottenham here, Steve. 
Yeah, no, same same thing with our game against West Ham, uh, Kevin. I, I think we're um, it, it's no longer their cup final, if you know what I mean. Every time we play them now, it's it gets tougher and tougher, and they're a good side, and and uh, I have to respect everything that Moyes has done there. Um, I I think uh, this this could go either way um, this this quarterfinal, and I think if we can keep Michael Antonio um, quiet. Uh, again, it comes down to the the holes that we have in our defence. Uh, Dyer and Sanchez, if they if they can get on top of Antonio and make sure he's uh, he's not as effective as he has been recently, um, then I suspect that we might be able to uh, to do a job. I'm I'm glad it's one of those games where you're glad you're playing at home rather than uh, go on the road, especially midweek, uh, and especially with the uncertainty surrounding all the. Um, uh, all the games at the moment with uh, this might be the last chance that that players get to ha- to have to play to, for a while so um yeah it'll be it'll be a good game and it could go either way but uh and we'll 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 see how uh, we'll see how west ham do all right, and then we'll wrap up with you, Jamie, talking about this Burnley versus Everton match in the Premier League. Uh, Everton seem to be a random team every week. Which one do you think you'll get? Yeah, well, I mean, is there any point doing this? We know the game's not going to happen, right? <laughs> We're not like football, bro. It, it just doesn't know why. Do I have to muster an opinion for a game that everyone knows isn't going to happen? Like, what's the point? We're just wasting time here, right? <laughs> no, but seriously, I think parallels here. A few years ago, we played Everton on Boxing Day at home and had probably the low point of the entire Daishera at Turf Moor. He's been at the club nine years and that's probably the worst we've been. I think we lost 5-1 at home and that was a real turning point for that season. It looked like we might get relegated. After that, we changed the goalkeeper. We dropped Joe Hart, brought back Tom Heaton. Dwight McNeil got in the team. There you go, tick. Got the mentioning, even though it's not even relevant. <laughs> so, um, there's a sense that this is the time of year that's really got the potential to create a turning point for us. I think you're right about Everton. Like sometimes they're impressive, sometimes they're terrible. Hopefully we'll get them on a bad day. Um I don't think Calvert Lewin's back yet, which is good for us because without him they don't seem to have any sort of focal point in attack. Um I think it's it's an interesting one. Like presumably we're gonna be well rested having not played for a long time. There's no COVID in the camp apparently so Fingers crossed this is the turning point rather than another humiliation at Christmas that then becomes the turning point. Yeah, no humiliations at Christmas seems generally to be a good strategy. <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> well, well, keep up the personal life, right? <laughs> <laughs> the football can be different. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Um, right, we'll wrap things up on that uh, note. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Well, thanks for listening. My name is Thomas Nygren. You can find me on Twitter at Thomas Nygren. I write about Liverpool for a website called lfcsv.se. Uh, most of the content is in, is in uh, Swedish, but we have a few segments in English as well. Uh, I'm also a regular at the Total Liverpool podcast. It's a podcast, a Swedish podcast as well. But uh, if there are any Swedish listeners out there, maybe you can give it a try. Yeah, my content is all all in English, unfortunately. <laughs> I write the, I write the the no name ever newsletter when there's some football to write about. It goes out on Mondays via Substack, and you can also get that through my Twitter feed, which is at Jamie Smith Sports. If you want more of my fire takes.
And thanks for having me on again, Kev. It was a really good conversation with the guys. Thank you. Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Steve McGookin and uh, some of my non-football writings at northernslant.com. Uh, but I have another exciting uh, editorial project that I'm going to be starting in the new year, all being well. Um, just before I go, uh, shout out this week, actually, to Christian Eriksen, who uh, cancelled his contract with Inter Milan this week. And, uh, you know, a, a wonderful player, wonderful human being and, and someone we've never replaced at Tottenham uh, in many ways. So uh, I, I, it would be sad to contemplate the end of his career, but I'm, I'm glad he's still with us. Yeah, and his agent says he's still looking to play somewhere. So uh, we'll, we'll <laughs> see. But yes, totally agree. Just glad that he, he made it through that uh, really traumatic incident at the Euros. Uh, I'm Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. This is the EPL Roundtable. You can find it on Twitter at EPL Roundtable. If you're trying to find the EPL Roundtable, you can also search for EPL Roundtable on all of your <laughs> podcasting things. I'm not going to say the words EPL Roundtable anymore today. I promise. <laughs> Thanks so much to all of you for coming on. It was a pleasure as always. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.